Hey everyone, Aaron Noonan here. Welcome again to another episode of the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Repco. My guest on the pod this week is Jess Yates from Fox Sports. Great to have Jess on the pod. We've been trying to do this for a little while, but we made it in the end, of course. So much to talk to her about, not just her current involvement with Fox, with the coverage of the Repco Supercars Championship, but the whole pathway to getting there. We talk about her sporting family and her upbringing, her time going to uni in, of all places, Bathurst, how she broke into TV journalism and then the ride ever since with the stops at Fox Sports News, at Speed TV Australia, of course covering the World Superbike Championship, MotoGP and of course these days with the Repco Supercars Championship. Jess tackles your National Motor Racing Museum couch racer questions. So here we go, let's get into it. Buckle up, time to start. Jess Yates on the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Repco. Jess Yates, it's been a while. We have finally got you on the V8 Sleuth Podcast. Thanks for joining me. I, I would have rather have done this. We would have been sitting in the same room in Sydney to come and say hello, but unfortunately we are doing this through the, the power of tech. You're at home in Sydney. I'm in the office in Melbourne. Uh, great to see you on my screen. Uh, we haven't seen you on screens for a little while because we haven't been supercars racing. How are you travelling? Hi, Noons. I thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm really excited. I'm a big fan. So this is really good. Stop it. Stop it. To be able to come on. Um, Yeah, it's been a little while since we've been car racing, hasn't it? And I have to say I'm having massive withdrawals. Um, The last 18 months has been pretty tough trying to find a rhythm with everything. But hopefully we are nearing the end of the tunnel. There is some light. Um, Hopefully we will be going car racing. I don't have any inside information for anyone as to when that might be. Sorry, um, but I've got my fingers crossed and I'm really hoping at the end of the year we'll be able to get the five events still pending away. Of course, you'll be able to see it all on Fox Sports every single second. Nice, nice, nicely done, nicely <laughs> done. Plug in. <laughs> you've, you've got a future in television just quietly with, with plugs <laughs> like that. Uh, lockdown for many has been, um, in a way, there's a lot to do. Uh, how does it go when you've got a new baby in the household as well? I guess it's one way to spend more time at home not the way that you probably thought you would be doing it, though. Look, I'm counting every single silver lining and the silver lining to this really tough time for everybody has been that I do get to have more time at home with my beautiful new baby. Um, We're not rushing around trying to do a thousand things as we normally would. So I'm really enjoying just having that time being mum at home with him. However, I have been pretty busy because I'm still on the footy. Of course, I host... uh, on Fox League, I do Friday night footy on Fox and we're nearing the end of the season. We're getting set for finals, which is really exciting. So, you know, I've been pretty busy with that. And then, of course, uh, before everything really um, shut down, we hit the road and went to Queensland. So he's been on the road with me this year. His first event uh, was when he was five weeks old at Taylor Bend, came along with my mum. Um, that was his first foray in car racing. So I've got some great video and pictures and I'm sure it'll be a wonderful 21st story for him. He'll think that's pretty cool. Then he got to come to Darwin with us um, and that was great because, you know, the warm weather up there is just perfect for bubbies who can just sleep and pram and wander around. And then he came with me to Townsville. So I took my daughter and my mum with me and we were on the road for nearly seven weeks. Um, to stay up in Queensland thinking that possibly QR would happen. That wasn't to be in the end, so I worked on a bit of footy while I was up there uh, and then we came home. So while (laughs) 
it sort of felt like we've had some downtime. Actually, we've been pretty busy this season, so it has been nice to be home for the last month or so and sleep in our own beds and just kind of settle in and I guess we're gearing up, waiting to see what will happen for the rest of the season and if we hit the road again, he'll be coming with me. Road trip. He's a, he's a racer already. Hey, I would have thought, though, when you've got an excuse and um, having a baby is a pretty big scenario, that you've got an excuse to stay away from Crompton and Scaife and Larkin <laughs> and you stayed away for one round and you were back. Seriously, you've got to lower the commitment level to your gig. Seriously, you had a perfect window to stay away from those blokes and you went straight on back to go and hanging out with them. You are a sucker for punishment. <laughs> you know what, Noons? If I leave them um, unattended or unsupervised for too long, it's way harder to rein the back in when I get back. So it's all about mitigating risk, right? No, <laughs> look, seriously, I love what I do. I had serious FOMO when I had to sit on the lounge with a week-old, two-week-old baby watching um, Tasmania. I hated it. I wanted to be there with the gang. So there was no way I was missing out. I was really fortunate that I've got, you know, such great support. With my mum, she was able to come with me and do all the kissing and cuddling while I was on the telly. Um, so I'm, I'm super grateful for that and, you know, that we're all healthy and, and in, we were in a position to be able to, to do that because I, I absolutely love what I do and I never see it as a job or a chore. It's such a privilege to work with those fine gentlemen whom you named who are my dear friends and colleagues and we have a lot of fun. Um, so I'm really looking forward to getting back with the team because it has been so disconnecting and disjointed over the last 18 months. You know, for most of last year we broadcast out of the studio in Sydney this year, you know, we've been missing Crompo for a couple of rounds with his health battles. Um, it's been really difficult to, you know, have a, a rhythm. So fingers crossed that, you know, it all gets back to normal sooner rather than later and that we've got the whole gang, including you, um, on the road and we can get back to doing what we really love and, and you know, bringing the action to the fans because they're the ones that have really missed out. You know, it's been so weird having events with limited crowd and, mm. We're everywhere we go, we have interstate travellers, you know, and that really hasn't been able to happen over the last 18 months. So I'm just really looking forward to finishing this season, definitely, but hitting next year in a really big way and getting things back to normal, if, if at all possible. Fingers crossed, toes crossed, everything crossed. Now, yep. can you confirm a rumour or deny it for me? Okay. Have you turned down an opportunity to compete in the E-Series this year? <laughs> I don't know about compete. <laughs> well, drive, drive in some way, shape or form. No, I was never, that was never offered up to me because you know what, if it was, I'm loath to get a sim in my house because my husband is an absolute tragic for it. He loves it. If I get one here, I'll never see him again. He will literally <laughs> move into the garage, never to be heard from again. So... No, it's not going to happen. Good call. All right, good call, good call. <laughs> For our mar the sake of our marriage and yes. our family. But I wouldn't get a look in. He wouldn't let me have a turn. He's completely yep. obsessed. He was in the um, celebrity e-race last year and he was completely hooked. Actually, it's probably not a bad Christmas present. You've sort of just put that in. Uh -huh. mind. Oh, been, I hope he doesn't, hope he doesn't listen to this then. <laughs> but no. Okay. Not I'm going to ask all the hard questions. I'm going to ask all the, all the hard questions. As you know, in V8 Sleuth World, we like to go back in time. We like to look back over things with uh, a lens to ponder the past, 
look ahead to the future, deal with a bit of the contemporary. So we're going to do a bit of that and a bit of all of the above in this pod. So I've done a little bit of homework, by the way, um, which could be good, bad or indifferent. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> tell me about a young Jessica Yates. Were you a sports nut as a kid? I know you're a Sharks fan. For those NRL fans know who the Sharks are. If you're an AFL fan like me from the other states, that's the Cronulla Sharks in the NRL. Um were you always a sports nut or did it sort of come a bit later on and the journalism stuff all fused together later on down the road? Um, I was definitely, I come from a sporting family. My mom, my dad rather, was a marathon swimmer. So he swam the English Channel a number oh, of times. Yeah, sucker no, for punishment, that. Jeez. Um, What's wrong so- with a swimming pool? <laughs> he loved surfing. So we were always at the beach. We did nippers, swimming. Um, I did dancing from the age of two right up until I was 20 years old. Uh, we've always been really active, lived at the beach where, you know, water people. Um, so we've always been kind of in sporting circles and, you know, I've got two younger brothers. They played cricket, footy, you name it. We kind of played everything. Love the Sharkies. Um, spent every other weekend down there on the hill with my uncles and my extended family cheering on Andrew Weddinghausen. We were absolutely sick for it. And um, so you know, we would watch the Bathurst 1000 like every family does in Australia. We were very entrenched in the sporting fabric of our culture and um, I suppose my passion for sports journalism really didn't start until I got into the industry. So I always wanted, always knew I wanted to be a journalist. Um, I always loved debating, <laughs> arguing, call it what you will, <laughs> public Pro- speaking. Professional, professional arguing. Yeah, performing, that was always my go. So I I guess I knew from pretty early on in high school that that was kind of the career I wanted to pursue. And so I did my journalism degree at Charles Sturt University in Bathurst and I always thought that I would be a political reporter or a foreign correspondent. And my best friend in high school, Laura Jays, now works for Sky News, Um, she was this incredible skier, sportswoman, and was going to do sports journalism. So I did just straight journalism at um, university and she did sports journalism. Turns out we swapped careers. So she's now the political <laughs> reporter and he's an absolute gun and loves what she does, works for Sky News, and I've ended up in sport. Um, and I, I love it. It's an extraordinary career. There are not too many jobs where you get to work with people who can and have achieved extraordinary things. You know, there's so much to celebrate in sport and I think that's why, you know, I've lasted as long as I have. Uh, particularly at Fox Sports, but in this particular career because it's so joyful. There's Mm. so much happiness, so much, you know, wonder and excitement that goes with it. Um, I think if you, particularly if you're working now in mainstream media on COVID, I don't know if you'd last, it can be exhausting, you know, all the terrible things that happen in the world and having to front up and be part of that every day I think would be really challenging and difficult. So I know that, I'm exactly where I should be. Um, And, yeah, I I love it every single year, you know, when we get the rundown of what's going to happen for, you know, the next 12 months, I get excited every day just thinking about who I'm going to get to meet, who I'm going to get to speak to and what amazing historical life-changing things I might get to be a part of that will be written in the history books forever. Mm. When you put it that way, sounds like a pretty good job. To me, just quietly, where, where was the? I was going to say, where's the in everybody's career pathway that they end up in? Some people fall into it. Some people always aim for it. 
but there's always a critical turning point. There's always a moment where the light bulb goes off or an opportunity arises. When was the light bulb for you that went, oh, I could actually do that? That's a thing that I like sport. I like journalism. Oh, you can put the two things together. Did you meet someone along the way? Was there someone or someone that you saw or something that you saw that triggered you to go, ah, pathway, that's where I'm going, that's what I'm going to do? Um, For sure. So when I was much younger, I used to do a little bit of modelling on the side and I was involved with the Australian Supercross Championships um, and did some promotional stuff with them and the Australian Motocross Championships. And Channel 10 at the time were telecasting that. It wasn't live, but Greg Russ was there hosting. Um, So this is going back a little while. And um, Michael Heaton, who was the um, producer at the time at Channel 10, was obviously there uh, working on everything. And, and it was something I had thought about. I'd really like to be in television. I'd like to be a journalist. I'm not sure kind of which pathway I was going to take. And I had, I had a really interesting conversation with him because I said, you know, staying there watching Greg, who is the consummate professional you know, he's just has done everything in TV. He's just such a wonderful, wonderful role model. And I remember watching him and how naturally it came to him and having a conversation with Michael and just saying, I need some career advice. You know, what would you recommend I do? And he said to me, go and get a university degree. Go and get a real qualification and then say yes to everything. Start knocking on doors, try and get as much experience as you can and just don't take no for an answer. And I, I'll always remember that advice because I really thought about it and then started to investigate which avenue would be the right one, which university would be the right one to go to. So um, once I'd got to Charles Sturt, I decided I wanted to do some work experience. So I managed to get a week at Channel 10 and the host of Sports Tonight then was Matt White, <laughs> who I'd watched on TV growing up. And I'll never forget I went in there and I did a couple of days with the sports department and when I was introduced to the team, he got up out of his seat and he said, Jess, come and sit at my desk. I'll log you in. I'll show you how we do everything. He was a superstar and he took time out of his day to talk to me and show me um, how everything worked and he said, if you've got any questions, please come and ask me. And I'll never forget those that moment either because you know Matt didn't have to do that he didn't have to talk to me he didn't have to take time out of his day to talk to the work experience girl but he did and I'd like to pay that forward because you know those really important people took some time out and that made all the difference um, to the impression that I got of the industry thinking wow I'd love to be a part of this I could really see myself working at a place like this and I remember sitting up at the desk and I did a screen test and Have you got the thinking, tape of that somewhere? Does that tape exist? Yes, it'll be somewhere. Uh-huh. Thinking, I love this. This is for me. And I can see how some people would be terrified of it. You know, all the lights and the cameras and a whole control room of people watching you and judging you. And I just reveled in it. I just absolutely loved it. And so from then on, I just knew that that was where I was going. I was going to get there somehow. Um, and then I decided to go overseas. This is probably something a lot of people wouldn't know about me. So my first job in TV, once I'd graduated from university, was at Channel 9. I was the production assistant on This Is Your Life. Remember that show? I love that show. Is this the Mike Munro era show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike Munro was the host because I just wanted to get 
as much experience as I could. I didn't care what job I did. I just wanted to work in TV and I just wanted to get as much experience as I could and to network and all that stuff. So that was my first job. Then I decided that I was, I loved to travel and I wanted to go and work overseas. So the Australian government have or had then a program, I'm not sure if it's still running, um, called Youth Ambassadors for Development. So basically they it's part of their AusAid program where they take skilled people and put them in developing countries to train up local people. So I applied for a job with the VNTN Times in Laos, of all places, and I was the sub-editor of the newspaper and was training up journos. And that was just the best time of my life. It was, you know, so rewarding and I got to do so much travel through Southeast Asia and it really... Um, changed who I was as a person and I decided I wanted to do my master's in international relations. So I started that while I was overseas. Um, And I had done some work experience at Fox Sports while I was at uni and um, had been in touch with a guy called Tim Moran, who they called the talent whisperer. So he was um, (laughs) head of the operations and he had worked there for a really long time and was really experienced in TV. And they always sort of looked to him to, you know, work out, you know, who they should employ and who he thought was, you know, had something and whatever. Anyway, so we had stayed in touch and that was when they were developing the 24-7 sports channel. Um, and I'd said to him, hi, I'm, I'm going to be home finishing up my year in Southeast Asia shortly, so I'm just putting the feelers out there um, to get some work. So if there's anything coming up, could you let me know? And he said, as a matter of fact, we're looking for people. So I can't offer you a full-time job, but I can offer you some casual work. Why don't you come in and start? I freelanced there for six weeks. I was freelancing at Channel 10 and at, on Sunrise at Channel 7. I was just trying to get my foot in the door wherever I could because I guess I'd had my first taste of TV and I knew that I didn't really want to be in production, that I really wanted to be a journalist and I, I was so interested in people and I wanted to do storytelling. Um, and But it was important to have that production experience to be able to then transition into, you know, being in front of the camera or being a journo. Um and so I really was had my sights set on getting a job, a full-time job as a journalist for a TV network. So I was sort of had my foot in the door everywhere and then six weeks later that Fox Sports offered me a full-time job and I've been there ever since. And I'll never forget Tim around because he said to me, if you really want this, there's an opportunity here for you, but you have, you have to work hard and you have to say yes to every opportunity. So at that time I could do triple shifts. So I might get in at 4 a.m. in the morning. I wouldn't leave till 9 o'clock that night because it's, oh, we need someone. Can you stay? Absolutely. Oh, so-and-so just called in sick. We need someone to go out to the A-League press conference. Can you do it? Absolutely. Whatever you need me to do, I just want this so badly. And, you know, that was really sage advice and I'll be grateful to him forever because he was such a wonderful mentor to me, um, really taught me the tricks of the trade and encouraged me to go for it. And it wasn't easy then because there weren't a lot of women. In fact, there were hardly any. I reckon there were maybe two other girls, three other girls, and we were all on different sides of the roster so you never saw anybody. Um, And that can be pretty daunting. You know, I was 22 years old. You're going into this really male-dominated workplace but also in sports so anything you were reporting on was on men I was interviewing men all the time so that was a really you know to have someone in my corner who said I believe in you you can do this um you should go for it was massive so yeah there's there's been definitely a couple of people in my journey who um really encouraged me and given me some really great advice on how to sort of navigate my way into the industry 
And I hope, you know, and I have had the opportunity and I really look for those opportunities moving forward, you know, where I can be that person for someone because, you know, that's how it works, right? Pay it forward. Pay it forward. So when people call you trailblazer, it'll be right because no one before and no one since will have gone via this is your life and Laos to Fox Sports. It's not going to happen. Not no, I thought so. <laughs> I think I think you are I think you are alone in that regard. Um, you talked about as a as a kid Bathurst on the telly. It's a bit of a cultural thing in Australia. Even if you're not a hardcore motorsport person, the the lay person who follows sport will probably walk past the television. I was going to say on that first Sunday or second Sunday in October. Um, not quite the case this year uh, for reasons that we all know. You mentioned before about uni. So isn't it funny how your worlds end up rolling. So you talk about Rusty and Michael Heaton and the Channel 10 stuff, and, of course, later on you work with Rusty on, on the Supercast coverage on Fox. You go to uni in Bathurst, of all the places to go, with the most famous racetrack that now you you know you host the Bathurst 1000 every year on, on TV on Fox. Isn't it funny how all the lines intersect? You just never know where someone's going to pop back up or a relationship from the past will pay forward. Um but I wanted to talk about Bathurst. So I did some homework. <laughs> Uh-oh. I, I, Google is an amazing, amazing resource. You said in an interview many, many moons ago that the car you learnt to drive in was a Mitsubishi Nimbus People Mover. Yep. But your first car was a Pulsar. So I'm presuming the Pulsar is the first car when you go to Bathurst for uni. Now, how many laps of the mountain did the Pulsar do is the big question that I have. Heaps, tons, (laughs) (laughs) too many to account. So I can remember that they were building the Ridges Hotel up there. It must have been my third year of uni and we had to go and do a story on it. And, of course, we pull up, you know, next to the construction site and the Pulsar won't start thinking, oh, my God, this is so embarrassing. How, like, what are we going to do? I had to do my piece to camera or whatever, so we shot it and we'd done it all. So all the construction workers start to come out of the ridges and they've got to push us down, <laughs> down the hill to jumpstart the car. I was mortified. But, yeah, we've had, had a bit of fun on that mountain long before I was there in a professional capacity. But do you who, have Like, which university student that went to Charles Sturt hasn't had a bit of fun around the mountain? Good luck finding one. Uh, they're probably they're, there can't be one surely there can't be when when you've got one of the world's most famous racetracks just down the road mm-hmm. it's hard to not want to take your pulsar at a legal uh speed around that circuit yes. um was it a triple s or was it a base model were you a zoomer as a young lady or were you just cool to have four wheels it was a triple s oh and, yes yes um, and i've always had that in me i just didn't know it at the time it had, it had to be brought out of you. Forced, absolutely. It had all the bits and I loved it. And you know what? It got me over the mountains and back every weekend because I would come back to Sydney to work on the weekends. Um, so I was I was like the glorified Uber driver <laughs> at university. I had quite a number of mates who'd jump in the Pulsar to come back and forth to Sydney and pay me petrol money and um, that was a good car. It did what it needed to do. I tell you what, learning to drive in the Mitsubishi Nimbus, oh, my God, no power steering. I'll never do that to my children. <laughs> I was going to say, I think that's called uh, child cruelty these days to, <laughs> to make a child do that. That's, that's next level. But I, I, I'm glad it was a triple S because 
you're that's establishing cachet with the hardcore motoring audience who probably listens to our pod. So when they know that you drove a triple S, not a base model GL or whatever the pulsar was, cred points just up the I thought rank. I was pretty cool in it, don't worry. Oh yeah, don't worry. They were they were a handy production car race car back in the day. Ask Steve Richards next time you see him. He uh, he okay. used to have a little bit of a punt around in one of those. So they were they were a good thing. Um we got sent by a punter some time ago a couple of photos from back in the day. Right. Now, were you Miss Parramatta City Raceway at some point, <laughs> Jess Yates? And what I did you it. win? What did you so, win? In fact, I didn't win anything. So friends of mine, Christo, who anyone that's into Supercross and Motocross would know, um, ran those championships and he was Phil, a champion. Phil Christensen. Phil, Phil Christensen. Christensen. He's yes. a great friend and uh, Neil Crompton worked with him for many yes. years and he's yes. been around for years. Yep. And has done so much in the industry. So he was a family friend of ours and they were looking for a girl to get involved in a promotional capacity. So they asked me if I would be interested and I was 15 or 16 years old um, and I, as I said, I'd been doing a little bit of modelling on the side and so I thought, yeah, great. It was an opportunity to travel, so I went around Australia with them. I got paid. In fact, the check that I got, the money that I made from doing that and Parramatta Speedway was what bought me my first Nissan Pulsar car. Yes, nice. And so, um, yeah, that opportunity came up off the back of that. They were looking for somebody that could, you know, be involved over the summer at Parramatta Speedway and asked me if I'd do it. And I said, yeah, of course, if I get paid, why not? And, you know, isn't it funny, like you say, you've got to take all the hints from the universe that you're headed in a certain direction. So whilst I was there doing some modelling, it meant I got to meet all these incredible people who I now, you know, work with. So Chad Reed, I knew ages ago when he first started his career here in Australia before he went over to America, you know, all those massive big names. And now they go, oh, wow. You know, that was you when you were 15, 16 years old. And here you are, you've, you know, made a career of it. And um, it's not just, you know, motorsport that I work. I've, you know, worked across lots of different things, as you know. Um, but, you know, I guess that absolutely opened the door to that industry and it meant I got to meet people where they could also see, you know, what I was interested in and what I was good at. Um, and it's funny how it comes back around. Don't worry, it's not lost on me either. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, the, the circle of life is never more apt than talking about situations like these. You said before about, so for, I think, it is it 2006 when the Fox gig starts? Yes. Is about what we're looking at. Ah, the research on Google was correct then. That's always, I might go back to Google and use that again because that seems <laughs> to be working well so far. Um, you said before about how there weren't many women around and if they were, they're in different shifts at different times so you didn't, um, really see them in your travels. And I guess if you don't see them, then you don't really form much of a, a relationship with someone you don't see. That's um, a bit difficult. But over time, Fox has really um, done a great job of whether it's, and I could probably run through a pile of names who are involved with the different sports and you could do it better than me, whether it's it's Lara Pitt or it's Yvonne Sampson or it's yourself or Tara Rushton or some of the names that have come and gone from Fox over the years. And they've kind of made the name and been attached to a sport. Um, you know, some, Mel McLaughlin and A-League springs to mind. Um, someone, you know, you've done, you've sort of done it across them all, but probably supercars has been more the, the thing that's been in your world. When did that sort of start? Because if you turned up there in 2006 and there weren't many women around, when did that process get rolling that's become part of the, the furniture for Fox now and it's worked really well? 
was there a noticeable shift in that that changed along the way to to end up where they've where they've gone with that? Definitely, I think um, you know Soames Trefry, who was running the news channel when I first started, really wanted to have more women involved. Um, and wanted to create more opportunity for women to be front and centre and to hold meaningful jobs because while, you know, there's been lots of women that have worked in production at Fox Sports, there hasn't ever really been anybody in front of the camera. I mean, there were there were definitely some trailblazers um, who have, you know, first started. Caroline Searcy was one um, who was the face of Fox Sports back in the day. Um, and there were a couple of others and their names escaped me, pardon me. Um, but I think in terms of having like a real contingent of women and actually not looking at it like that, not, oh, we've got the quota of women that we need to tick the box, that it wasn't about that. It was actually going out and finding a really good mix of the right people for the right jobs. So understanding what our audience wanted, that they didn't just want men talking about sport, that we needed to have more diversity in, you know, who was presenting our news and our sport. Um, I can remember, you know, my big break came. I'd been working on the news channel and Tim said to me, you know, you should get up and practice reading the auto cue and transition into presenting. So that happened for me. And then we lost the rights to the MotoGP, which Fox had had for a really long time. So that was an opportunity for the company to kind of take a step back and think about how they wanted to approach motorsport because it's such a big ticket item for us um, and we had world superbikes so they needed to be able to go to the governing body and say you know it's really important that we have this property and this is the way we're going to do it and have a point of difference for whatever reason they said to me we want you to host world superbikes and at that point you know I knew a little bit about it but I wasn't I certainly didn't know you know everything I needed to know um, but it was such a wonderful challenge for me and to work alongside, you know, people like Kevin McGee who'd been doing it forever. Chris He's Vermeule, still going. He's still going. Right. <laughs> um, Chris Vermeule and eventually made his way once he'd retired to us. I mean, it was such a, you know, I'm really fortunate to have worked with him. He's so professional and so good at what he does. Um, you know, that was a really good opportunity for me to cut my teeth and learn about TV and I just had an affinity for it. I don't know what it is about motorsport, whether it was the experience that I'd had as a 16-year-old, you know, sitting, watching, listening, absorbing everything that was around me, understanding the lingo, understanding the fans and what it is that interested them, the things that they'd really want to know if they could be there in Europe watching it. Um, so, you know, that was that was a big shift for Fox 2 because they'd never really had a female host a whole sport. Um, and I was young. I was really young. And, I, you know, I'm, I made a lot of mistakes. And how lucky am I that I had the opportunity to make those mistakes and to learn. Like, I learned so much. And then sort of following that um, was the birth of the Big Bash. So Fox Sports and Cricket Australia came up with the 2020 concept um, to have, you know, this incredible summer tournament. And Sarah Jones and myself uh, were the boundary riders that summer. And I loved every second of that. So we got to work on the one-day uh, domestic series as well. And I travelled all over Australia and I got to work alongside incredible cricketers um, and be at the coalface of this amazing tournament that turned 2020 cricket in Australia on its head. It was so exciting to be a part of that. And that was, I guess, my first taste at, you know, being a true broadcaster and understanding it really didn't matter what you were talking about you know there's a skill set that you can lend 
um, to all of those different disciplines and genres. Um, but motorsport taught me you have to know what you're talking about. You've got to do your research because our fans can be a little bit unforgiving sometimes. And that's you reckon? You reckon just a yeah. little bit? <laughs> They're super passionate. They love it. Um, and if you can't meet their needs in that regard, you're not going to last very long. But I don't know, for me, motorsport over anything else has been the most intoxicating of any of the, I guess, the genres that I've worked on, the sport, sporting codes that I've worked on. It's so sensory. I mean, you can speak to this. You know, you go to a racetrack and the smell, the sound, the vibration through the ground, you know, how on the edge everything is, every minute is just so enthralling and, you know, it's like a drug. And I think that's why, you know, I've, I've had such an affinity, no matter what it's been, whether it's been, you know, two wheels or four, whatever, um, I've loved working on those events. And so, you know, it was really lucky that, you know, we, we hit the ground running with World Superbikes and that obviously had an impact in having a, a female on our coverage. It changed the dynamic on the panel. It changed the dynamic, you know, that we had when we went to Phillip Island for, um, you know, those events in talking to riders and Donna loved it. Um, they bought out World Superbikes and then the rights for MotoGP came back up and we got it back. And that was a really exciting time to be part of, you know, the best two-wheel action in the world and to host that was really exciting. And then supercars um, came across our desk and the rights came up for that and we were all in to, to be the home of supercars. And I remember when um, my producer, James Harrison, called me and he said, so I just want to confirm, like, you're in for this because I reckon we're going to get it. And so are you good? I said, James, you don't have to ask me twice. The answer is yes. I'm so excited. I mean, I grew up watching Matt White host supercars and I watched, you know, Scapey was a household name. Everybody knew who Peter Brock was. I, I knew all about it. I knew the history. I knew how important it was to people at home. And so for us to get that property on Fox Sports and to have the opportunity to work with those guys is a dream come true. I was so excited and even, I mean, we've had it for seven years now um, and I can't believe it's been seven years mm. and I'm so lucky to call, you know, all of those guys, my dear friends and colleagues, it's not lost on me how awesome an opportunity it is to work with them and to go car racing every other weekend. Like it's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> so it's amazing, you know, had I not had that opportunity in Superbikes, would I be where I am today? Probably not. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's been quite the journey to get to this point. And throw in a bit of cricket, a bit of footy, a bit of surfing, a bit of boxing. Not in the ring. Not in the ring. Not in the ring. You said about a, a great point, and I, I had this on my little list that I wanted to ask you, so you've, you've already you fast-forwarded me to it, but motorsport pans, uh, fans, not pans, um, are passionate. They know their stuff. You can't pull the wool over their eyes very easily at all. How does that compare to... NRL, cricket, the other sports that you've been exposed to, do you feel the motorsport audience has a higher understanding of their sport than the fans in other sports? You're probably better qualified to comment on it than anyone else we've had on the pod because we deal in motor racing. We deal in our own world probably more than any other world, but you move in other worlds. So what's your take? I definitely think um, motorsport fans are a more niche fan, if you know what I mean where they're heavily invested in the personalities, 
in the product. And I think that speaks to the culture of, of motor racing in Australia. So you're always either a Ford or a Holden fan. You know, we just haven't had that investment across other sports. I know people love players and their footy teams and, you know, AFL is testament to that. So is the NRL in, in many ways. Um, I don't know if cricket's quite the same, given that it's probably more of an international sport. So maybe we're all invested in the Australian team. Um, but I think in motor racing, there's been more things to belong to. And it's definitely, it's definitely got that tribalism to it. Um, so you can't, you know, as a young kid, you might like Andrew Wenninghausen, but then when you're older, you might think that, you know, Cooper Cronk's the best or whatever. In motor racing, it was never like that, right? If you're a Ford fan from the minute you're born, you're always a Ford fan. Um, if you loved Peter Brock, you always loved him. You're always on his side. So I think the tribalism in motorsport is definitely as fierce as it's ever been and above any other sporting code in Australia, certainly. And I think, you know, what we've been able to do at Fox Sports and deliver so much content, you know, the, you know, you're on our coverage. The minute something rolls out on the track, you can see it on Fox Sports. We've never had that opportunity on Australian television before to have wall-to-wall viewing for three or four days straight. Um, so we've got to make sure that we're engaging those people and giving them what they want. And they want expert analysis. They want the behind-the-scenes stuff. You know, they want to feel like if they can't physically be at the racetrack, that they're there anyway through us. And that hasn't been taken lightly you know we think about that when we're planning you know our production before every round you know how can we deliver that experience to our fans because they're paying good money for it on fox sports um, and we want to make sure that they're getting everything they want which means a lot of there's a lot of time and effort that goes into our broadcast it might look hopefully it looks really seamless when you're sitting on your lounge watching it um, but a great deal of thought has gone into making sure that we're really servicing our our hardcore fans, but also people that want to dip in and out that might so oh, I, I saw some other thing with Jamie Winkup. Who is he? What's he about? I want to I want to understand what this whole thing's about. Um, and trying to you know strike that balance between dipping in the really deep end and then in the shallower end of the pool is is really important and something that we're always thinking about. For sure. One of the things that I feel is missing that would be great to have back, there's reasons why mm. certain things aren't in existence or don't happen. A lot of our fans don't understand that because television's a nuanced thing, motorsport's a nuanced thing. But one of the things that I reckon is missing, and it'd be great to, we've had it before, but we sort of got away from it. And there'll be reasons why, but it'd mm. be nice to find a way to get back. We don't have those lily pads between. We have, you know, hopefully 12, 13, 11, whatever it is, rounds in a year. We have three or four days of events, depending on which event and how big they are. And yep. then we don't really have anything to, to, you know, we used to have the weekly shows and we used to have some other content. And yeah, mm. we've got some E-series and there's the Era Stocker and some other bits. But I feel like, is there a way, or is, has the world just moved on from that maybe? Because the world moves so fast in the news cycle and we're reading on our phones and the internet and there's stuff going everywhere that there's probably not room for that lily pad program every week on a Wednesday or somewhere in the middle between rounds or it's just the world moved on from that in the media sense that it's not there because it doesn't work anymore I think we consume things differently these days noons a la your podcast I think those things are really 
fitting in where those TV shows might have back in the day. I think the world is a much smaller place and, you know, to try and do a weekly show when you've got, you know, 20 people to pick from, we mm. feel like we've exhausted every single story there is to tell and we want to keep it interesting and fresh and it's not always easy to do that. I think, you know, the cost of production is massive. <laughs> That's definitely a factor in it. Um, and it's got to be about eyeballs too. You know, if you can't pull a massive audience, who's going to foot the bill to do a weekly show like that when it's, you know, production costs are so high. I definitely think there's an opportunity to revisit all of that, but I think we're just in this state of flux at the moment where there's so much up in the air. It would have been impossible to do a show like that over the last two years, trying to have everybody, you know, in one place, doing it over Zoom. I mean, that's been a whole new world. There's only so much Larco iPhone action that the nation can take. They just don't have the bandwidth in Bow Desert. (laughs) They just don't. They need to upgrade the internet facility up there. I mean, you know, I think there's there's definitely an opportunity to do more and showcase more. There always is. And, you know, we all want to do that, but it's about striking the balance and giving people what they want um, and they're not giving them too much. And how do we make sure that we're safeguarding, you know, the jewel in the crown, which is our live coverage, um, keeping people entertained in the meantime till the next race. I think if you can strike the balance properly with the calendar, that's really hard because, you know, it's, you're on the road so much, you look at all the teams and how, how much they travel and um, trying to have really back-to-back racing. You know, we've done that before and that takes its toll on everybody. So it's, it's a really, really fine balance to strike and it's not always easy. And I think, you know, at Fox Sports, we're always looking at ways to engage. Like how, how do people want to connect with us? Is it through a TV show? I don't know if it is anymore. Is it yeah. through Instagram and having just breaking news clips? Is it podcasts? Is it, you know, what is it? So I guess we just need to make sure that we're really engaged with our fans to ensure that we can service, you know, them in the way that they want, that we can, if they're after breaking news, are we the place they want to get it from? Is it from you? You know, how do we work together so that we're not eating each other? Because there are, uh, there is a limited amount of storytelling to be done in our paddock. We're so, we're all publishers now, right? So we're competing with each other all the time. So you look at all the drivers have got their own media, um, social media platforms. They don't need to come to TV anymore to tell their story. They can do it themselves. So I think there's all those things that we've, you know, trying to navigate our way through um, to work out what is the best way we can engage with our audience and what is it that they're actually after. Great insight. It's something that you don't, I've never stopped to think of it, that the power that an athlete has now, whether it's a supercar driver or a footy player, a cricket player or LeBron James um, can instantly launch an announcement, a major piece of news, um, something that they want out there that helps advance their cause commercially or whatever it might be, um, the power of a media company isn't what it used to be. So it's a case of finding a way for it to be modernised and, and click together. So, yeah, a- athletes are publishers, aren't they? Just as Fox Sports is, just as we are here on a smaller scale with what we do, it's um, it's an interesting way to, to ponder mm-hmm. it and, and think about it. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products, 
to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. I remember back when you said about when Fox got the rights, and I think remember to supercars rights, I mean, that that was about a year or so before the actual deal started. It was late 2013, if my, my memory serves correct. But I have a very vivid recollection of um, about three years earlier to that because speed began on Fox, which was very exciting for motorsport fans who there was a speed channel in the States. Uh, Fox were implementing it here. Of course, you were right at the front and centre of that. Uh, and James Harrison, who you spoke about before, he was right there at the time. And, yep. and and I was involved in a very small degree around that time. But I remember the enthusiasm among a very small little unit of people there um, and the grand utopia was kind of supercar rights was kind of the whole oh imagine if we could get that how good would that be and then it happened but for what three years there was a news show remember speed news australia um i remember that but scarily enough they let me host it for a couple of weeks i think the ratings dived for a while and you recovered them thankfully um (laughs) but um getting Supercar. I mean, we remember we did Bathurst preview shows on the Thursday. That was as far as the rights were permitted because Channel 7's rights kicked in from the Friday and we couldn't do anything more. But um, it was tapping into the hardcore audience who wanted more at a time when, you know, this is what, 11 years ago, yeah. were hungry for more. And the media's changed so much now. How much did speed and that little chapter of what led to supercars, it led to Fox doing what it does now how important was that in the whole evolution because i look back at it as a period that's kind of overlooked because it was a little bit wasn't on free to air it was only seen by a certain amount of people because it was pay but in the grand scheme of history making of sports motorsport broadcasting in australia it's a crucial little chapter in linking it all together well i think it absolutely showed what was possible so free to air tv have got such a limited window And here we were with this opportunity to broadcast endlessly. We had Mm. a whole channel to fill. So it was fill your boots with content, but we didn't have the rights to anything, which was part of the challenge and I think what set us apart. And, you know, we were able to engage, like we had a supercars driver on that show every other week, Mm. which was fantastic. And I think it really showed our commitment to it which in the end was the difference that they could see that we were really committed to having a full motorsport platform, um, that we were engaged with our fans, that we understood what they wanted, that it was a one-stop shop for them. Um, And there wasn't really anything else like it and hasn't been anything like it since. Um, I mean, all that stuff still exists on Fox Sports. It's just branded in a different way. It yeah. still is absolutely the home of motorsport because when you add to that, then we get supercars and we get Formula One and we've got World Superbikes, MotoGP, we've got IndyCar, we've got all of it. All of a sudden we went from having a motorsport channel with, you know, a couple of contracts to then having the full gamut. Mm. It was incredible. And it, I don't know, I think for motorsport fans it probably doesn't really matter how it's branded as long as it all lives in the same place under the same roof. Um, you can access all of it. That's probably what's most important. I'd love to do a motorsport show. I think, I think you know, when you're talking about, you know, the gaps and how we can, you know, reach our audience, we've got absolutely everything. It would be super cool to do a motorsport show that encompassed everything. And I know there's been different iterations of that across different 
um, networks, um, but it's something Scapy and I and Crompo talk about all the time. They used to do stick shift on Triple M and, you know, you were involved in that. You've, you've done a thousand different shows, but, you know, for us to have all of those um, major motorsport categories in our house, it'd be really cool to be able to do. Maybe that's something we can do next year. I don't know. I'll pitch it to the bosses. Pitch to the bosses, you know, you, you know my number. I'm pretty cheap. It's okay. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, yeah. it's okay. It's, it's okay. It's time, though, too, right? Like we've all got so much on trying to yeah. find time to get everyone together and to just do another show. But um, Yeah. You never know. You never know your luck. You never, you never know. know your luck. Hey, is 2020 at Albert Park the weirdest day you've had in broadcasting? Is there anything that comes close to the whole, hey, we're racing and it's Albert Park and it's supercars, it's formula. Oh, it's off. It's It's off. We're going home. There's this virus, oh, and then the world changed. Is, is there anything comes close? Have you had a big bash game where the lights went out and nothing worked or it got flooded out? Or I mean, that's not even close really, is it? It's yeah, not close, that, though. That happened on the Gold Coast actually in cricket. This massive storm came in and it was an Australian 2020 international with South Africa on the Gold Coast in Metricon Stadium and literally like the skies just opened and they were counting me in as we were running up the stairs. <laughs> oh, welcome to our live coverage here at Metricon Stadium. It's raining. And we were drenched. We were drowned rats. We had no lights. We had no screen. They were like, okay, this is what's on the pictures now. Just talk. And I had to fill with Warney and I think Gilly was there and I can't even remember, maybe Simo. We just had to talk for three hours. We had nothing. There's no play. It was like that was one of the hold on to your seats, gentlemen. <laughs> We're in for a wild ride here. But 2020 at Albert Park was the most bizarre day of my broadcasting career. And I mean, I kind of live for those. There's no script. We don't know what's coming next. I, I'm, I absolutely love that. I love being terrified on live television. Call me weird. Um, <laughs> it was another day when they shut down the NRL. Same thing happened. I just loved it. It was just. Like in terms of live broadcasting, it doesn't get any better than when the story is literally unfolding before you and you've got to, you know, just tell everyone you're the first point of contact for the information. And I remember sitting on the desk and I'm like, well, what are we going to say? What are we going to do? And everyone's like, I don't know. We don't know. We've just got to be on TV. We've just got to talk. And all right, buckle up, boys. Get, get the go. pads out and let's start padding it out. Yeah, and it was just kind of like, yeah, here we are pit lane, everyone's warming up their engines, supercars are getting ready to head out. I think it was for qualifying, wasn't it? It was, yeah, it was. We had a full day running the day before on the Thursday and I can remember, you know, where our studio was, I could see the back of the garages. We could see Erebus and Davey at that point was hanging out the back going, what are we doing? What's going on? And then it was silence. The word had obviously come that actually we're not going to head out for this session all the cars were turned off and it was just, I mean, when you go to Albert Park, there's always noise, right, mm. for that event, that weekend. If it's the buzz of the crowd, if it's, you know, um, the buggy zipping around the back, there's a 1,000 people everywhere, there's always some noise. It was deathly silent. There were no cars warming up. No one had any idea what was going on. And then we, when we crossed, you know, to the powers of beat that had to do that press conference and say it's off, and, you know, we were crossing to a reporter at the gate saying the gates were shut and none of the crowd were allowed in and no one knew what was going on. It was bizarre. It was so bizarre. And, of course, my heart went out to all of the people that worked on that event and the caterers and I can't oh. tell you, all the corporate suites. So Fox Sports had a corporate suite. 
um, that weekend. And so we walked up there because we'd done it. We'd had a pressing the day before and, you know, I went up to sort of help them start packing it up and all the food was there. So you had every fridge stocked with every sort of beer you could imagine. They just delivered the prawns and oysters. Like there was just this astronomical amount of food that they couldn't do anything with. So I think they donated what they could. They yeah. What, you know, there's so many rules around refrigeration mm. and all that kind of stuff. So much of it went in the bin. Mm. And then you, you just look at the infrastructure and the amount of work that goes into putting that event together just from a logistical point of view. And then for it not to have even gotten underway, you know, we had one day and that was it. I remember just it was despairing. You sit around and it was empty and you think, what is going on? You know, how could this be happening? And we ended up staying down in Melbourne for the weekend because at that point we really knew nothing in Australia about coronavirus. We'd obviously, um, I had hosted an event for Ferrari the night before out at Urban Surf, which is the wave pool. And um, Charles Leclerc was there and there was a bit of buzz at the event that it was going to be called off. And then as I was leaving, um, one of the guys said to me, oh, they've just said that, Sebastian Vettel and Kimi Raikkonen have been spotted at the airport getting on a plane, getting out of here. Mm. Really? And then the press release came through that they were in meetings and that there was every chance it wasn't going to go ahead. And just thinking, how did we get here? And, you know, the boys are in town. Everyone's here. We're all ready to go. And we just, yeah, the, Melbourne was such a weird place that weekend because everyone that had come down for the event obviously decided, well, you know, Scott Morrison had said he was going to the footy, that it was perfectly safe, that we were all okay, and then we weren't, and then it all changed. I mean, yeah, when you sit here and think back, you know, what's transpired since that day, it's pretty radical. Uh, yeah, and the thing is with what's happened since, what happened then doesn't seem that strange anymore. It was so strange on the day, the concept of a, a World Championship Grand Prix, supercars would be pulled partway through, people have got tickets, now, things being canned, moved, locked down at the last moment. I live in Melbourne, I know. Um, it's sort of par for the course. It's amazing what previously was strange, surreal, becomes, oh, yeah, just another day at the office kind of thing in terms of last-minute change, of major events being canned, of, you know, the concept, if we'd all sat here at the start of last year and said football players would be away in hubs for four months like AFL was last year or all those types of things, you'd have, think you'd, you'd, you'd have thought someone's hit you in the head and you've been out for five years and you're in a bad dream because it's... They're making it it's, up. It can't it's be just, real. No, it's just surreal to to what's yeah. unfolded and what's happened. So it's... Um, I think yeah, it's the fact that strange. we've got as much racing underway this year as we have is um, unbelievable. Like you mm. think really whilst it's been a bit strange, we've gotten the majority of events away and we've had crowds at all of them, um, you know, to go to Darwin and have that event was like mm. nothing had happened. It um, does feel strange watching, though, when you're in Melbourne and yeah. you're not allowed to go to your family's home or you're not allowed to yet here's all these people standing there drinking beer. <laughs> it's certainly yeah. a, a very strange thing. And even you start to watch it from our perspective here at this end of the world, and then you, as we are now watching overseas with all these crowds at events in America mm. and Europe, and you think, oh, oh, they're not distancing. Oh, then, so you almost program now to go. Oh, hang on, that looks wrong. Oh, whereas you know it looked so wrong when TV reporters are wearing masks and Formula One drivers are wearing masks, and it's, it's amazing how what is previously 
strange, weird, different becomes normal. It's it's a really interesting life situation that we're all living through at the moment. I know. I'm just. I really hope that you know there is an opportunity, if for no other event this year. And I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. I really, truly don't. But that you know we can safeguard Bathurst and that we can have fans at Bathurst at our showpiece event this year. Being at Bathurst last year with no crowd was so bizarre, I have mm. to say. You know, when, you know, you walk through the back of the paddock at Bathurst, you basically elbows out for four days for the people, particularly when you work with Mark Scaife and Craig Lowndes who were just mobbed. And, you know, it's always you sort of get the end of that week and you go, I'm pretty exhausted because there's so much energy and there's, you know, mm. so many people and it's so amazing. But you know, it's pretty exhausting. It got to the end of um, the weekend last year and it was kind of like, this is so weird. Like that energy was just missing. There was just, it was us and the drivers and that was it in the pit lane. It was mm. bizarre. And I hope mm. we never have another one like it because Bathurst is about the fans, right? That event is a, is for the fans and about the fans and without them, I think every driver said that. It's just, it wasn't cool quite the same. It was amazing, but it wasn't quite the same. Yeah. Everyone, Crompo's line about this is that Bathurst is everyone at their best. So when not everyone's there, yes, the drivers were at their best, the teams were at their best, the limited personnel and broadcasters were at their best. But the thing at its best is when it's packed full of fans and the mountain roars on lap one and when it roars when the the winners step out on the rostrum and lift the Peter Brock trophy. So it it would be, it's better than not having one. It's better than having a a gap from 2019 to hopefully 2021 in the, the Bathurst 1000 record books because it keeps people who do stats rolling. And, you look, I think that's very important just quite. It is. Where um, would we be without the stats? Uh, don't know. Don't know. <laughs> probably probably not with as many headaches, that's for sure. Um, social media mm. can be a lovely, warm place sometimes. It does have its place and its purpose. It can more often than not be a cesspit. Do you ignore it? Do you keep an eye on it? Do you take feedback from it? What's your take on socials? Because it's become such a part, particularly someone with a public profile and a high public profile like yours. How do you cope with it? How do you deal with it? Do you limit yourself? What's your What's the Jesse Eight stance on socials and how you get the best out of it and protect yourself from it? Um, look, my experience may be unique, but I've only ever really had a really positive experience on social media. I, I choose not to engage with people that don't want to be positive. Um, so, you know, if anyone's nasty or wants to get down in the gutter, delete, you can't be part of my space because I'm all about positivity and celebrating the really great things. Um, and I'm really grateful to all the people out there who are super supportive and encouraging and want to be part of, you know, the cool ride that I'm on in my job, um, and, you know, I guess it's trying to find that balance between your personal life and your professional life. And, and I'm a pretty open book. And, you know, I'm really proud of my beautiful family. And so I'm happy to share them as long as everybody else is, you know, respectful around that, which they are. Um, so I'm really super grateful for that. Um, but it's, you know, it's sort of hard because you get to a race weekend and I'd really like to be able to share more on that, but I'm flat out, as you can probably see, just turn the TV on. And if I'm on telly, it's a bit hard to be doing both. So I'm conscious of of trying to, you know, give all the, the fans that want to engage on that platform a little bit something extra, but it's not always easy. Um, so I just kind of let it ebb and flow and 
And, yeah, I've, I've just found I think when you're positive and you put out that energy, that's what you receive back. Um, and I just don't engage with any of the other nasty stuff. And I know it's really difficult for a lot of people that can be targeted and there's a lot of online bullying and I'm super proud to support Chas Mostert's effort in shining a light on that and trying to create a more positive space for people. I think it's really important that people like him can be role models in that regard and really set the tone and um, have a positive message around that. And I am will do whatever I can to help him in his quest um, to really promote that and, and change the dialogue around it because I think it's really important, especially for um, young men and to be able to kind of speak up about that. I think it's really powerful and it's really cool to see him putting his name to something as important as that for sure. The other thing is when you're on the VX with podcast, you've probably delved through some past and present and a little bit of future. But we also have the National Motor Racing Museum's Cat Tracer questions. Of course, the museum's at Bathurst, so we, we always find a way to come back to Bathurst. Of course, at the moment with COVID, it's been closed. So I just want to remind people that keep an eye on their Facebook page. They do some great content of what's coming and going with the displays and um, some of the stuff that they're working on in there. They've got an online bookshop. Um, they've got books out there um, and products, some of ours, some of others. Um, but they are able to still sell some of those items to help keep things rolling in that world. So Museum's Bathurst website is where you can find more about the museum or their Facebook page. But they bring us the Couch Racer questions where our fans send in the questions and you're going to do your best to provide some <laughs> of the answers. I-, I promise it won't hurt much. Um, Jordan Trelaw. Now, this, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is important. Okay. He's a Charles Sturt Uni journalism graduate, so he's... Uh, graduate, but he's a current honours student. Any advice for Jordan, or for anyone for that matter, looking to start a career in motorsport as part of the media, especially now that COVID's had such an impact on both the sport and the media itself? And that's a really good point because not only has the media changed since the 90s, the early noughties, the whenever, but COVID now has changed things again. All those things you talked about before of being saying yes to everything, being there from seven to nine, doing all the stuff that you could do, whatever anything presented itself. Mm-hmm. Is that the core of the advice that you'd give someone like Jordan or someone in his position? Absolutely. And I think it's really important to set yourself a goal. So what is your end game? And I'm, my cousin's a journalist and I'm super proud of him. He's just graduated and he's working um, as a journo in a regional newspaper. And, you know, he was grappling with trying to find a job because it's hard out there. There are no jobs in this industry. It's tough. And I said to him, what do you want to be? At the end of the day, what's your end game? What do you want to be the editor of the Sydney Morning Herald or the Daily Telegraph or the Australian or, you know, who is it you want to be? What do you want to do? What are you really passionate about? And as soon as he could identify that, then he could work his way back. So what's the good, what's the starting point to be able to get to there? And so I would say you really have to know what it is you're good at and what you love, what's your end game, and work backwards. And then bash the door down. Just knock on every single door until you get a yes because you will get a yes. They want, you know, to work in this industry, you have to have commitment. You have to be tenacious. You have to not be afraid to hear no. And you've just got to keep asking the question until you get the answer you're looking for. And I would say, you know, if if your writing is your passion or if it's broadcasting or whatever, Start writing. Have your own website. Have your own social media handle. Publish your own stuff. You know, if you can engage 
with your audience in whatever capacity, that's so powerful and it's so important in honing your craft and learning your skills and getting better at what you do. So don't just start. Just find a way to start and work out where it is you're headed. And you never know what twists and turns are going to come. You know, if someone had said to me, you know, when I was working at Channel 9 on This Is Your Life as the production assistant that one day you'll be the host of Eric Supercars, I would have said, really? Are you kidding? How? But now that I'm here, I just know I'm in the right place that this was always where I was meant to be. You've just prompted me to fire my own uh, catch racer question. Who was the best This Is Your Life episode that you worked on? Um, gosh, I'm going back a while. <laughs> so I only did a season. We had Julian McMahon. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was interesting. Um, he, yeah, probably him. Was it genuinely a surprise to all these people on that show oh, yeah. or were Absolutely. any of them, did any of them have a, a bit of a clue and you had to just film it for No, they had no idea. Good. It was Glad to hear. secret. Nice. Always. Nice. <laughs> Maybe we should bring This Is Your Life back. I think I'm sure it will come back I think it's one time. day. It's, it's come back about three times over the last 40 years. So, Isn't it we're, just we're, sort of evolved into Married at First Sight and all those oh. shows? Isn't that a bit of This Is Your Life? <laughs> If, if that's your life, I don't want your life, that's for sure. <laughs> um, Scott Ford's got a good one here, Jess. What's the biggest blooper you've made on camera that might not have made a telecast or indeed one that has made a telecast? What's the what's the bit of tape that you cringe that someone might have or, or wheel out one day? So um, it was the season launch, Would have was it 2019? 2018, I can't remember, 2019 possibly. We were down in Melbourne. You were probably there, Nunes, at, um, is it, was it at Docklands in Melbourne? And oh, ring, rings a bell, rings a bell. And um, I'm up on stage and I'm interviewing Scott McLaughlin. And it's just Scott and I on the stage. And so it was a, it was a riser. And then it had like tiered, rises behind it but underneath them was nothing but they had sort of a curtain to dress them so you couldn't see that there was empty space so I've rocked back on my super super high stiletto because if you've never met me in person I'm actually really short I'm tiny so I've always got to wear the really super high stilettos when I stand next to these really tall men so that we can be framed in the same shot so I've rocked back on my heel and it slipped down in between the riser and then the stage behind it and, of course, I've got nothing to grab onto, so I'm fresh airing it and fall over on my ass in front of all of my colleagues. It was being streamed live on Fox Sports News. And Scott just stood there and looked at me. He didn't even try and catch me. And he just he was so shocked he didn't know what to do. And that morning I'd been umming and about what do I wear, had a bed sent down a dress, and then I had like a pants suit sort of thing, and I went with pants. Thank God I went with pants because there I am on my ass, legs in the air, in front of everybody. So all the big CEOs from Channel 10 and Fox Sports are there, like Scafi, Crompo, all of my colleagues, all the drivers, all the teams, and there I am in the middle of this presentation on the floor, have, having fallen over with nothing to grab on. And I look at Scott and I go, can you help me? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> And pulled me up and it was like, what do you do? Like how embarrassing. I was mortified. But you know what? Like all you can do is make a joke and press on, right? The show goes on. So I went, True. wow, that's 
I'm so embarrassed. Anyway, Scott, thanks so much for your help. <laughs> I know not to call in, when, you know, in a disaster. First <laughs> time in the interview and he felt so bad. God love him. And he came up to me at the end and he goes, oh, Jess, I'm so sorry. I should have caught you or helped you. And I went, yeah, you should have. Should have. Oh, I'll never do that again. I said, don't worry. I'm never going to do that again. <laughs> I was absolutely mortified. But you know what? You have to laugh because if you don't laugh, you'll cry. And all I could think, Nunes, was thank God I wore the pants because it yes. was so much worse. <laughs> if in doubt, wear the pants because you right? never know what might happen. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> nice. Um, Doug Kitchingman, this is a good question. I kind of like this. He used to judge surf events. Yeah. So um, he used to judge your husband, Luke, in surf events. So he's asked the question, how did you meet your, meet your husband, Luke? Um, we met through work, as you do when you are a journo because all you do is work and you don't have a life, You work, especially when you work in sport, you work every weekend. Um, so I had been covering surfing events for Fuel TV. I don't know if you remember that channel. That I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. On Fox Sports along with Speed and all those other, um, the How To channel, that was another one that we had. Um, and so I was really lucky early on in my career they would send me off to report on surfing events. So I got to go to Tahiti. I went to Portugal, went to Fiji, I went to all these amazing places. And so Luke was the contest director on those events. So I had known him for a little while um, before we got together. Um, but, yeah, the stars just aligned and he was single and I was single and here we are married 10 years later, two beautiful children. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I met Luke through work. So job's good for something, right? True, <laughs> true. It's it's surfing, it's the vibe, it's Marbo, it's constitution. It's, <laughs> it's a bit of everything that brings it all together. Um, Justin Olden's got a question here. Uh, he says, you're not an X-race driver and you weren't a motorsport identity, and, and take that with respect. Yeah. Um, coming into the role as the, the Fox Supercars host, how did you go building rapport with the drivers, the team owners, the all the people up and down the pit lane that, that form that world? A lot of them who have been in it for, you know, long time, longer than me even. I've been around for a while. But how did you go? Was it a... a a considered thing to go and win the respect or you feel like you just you build the rapport and you build the respect just by doing the job rather than trying to specifically do it? Look, I think the most important thing, you know, when you start anything new and whilst, you know, I'd been in TV for a little while and I'd worked on other motorsport, coming into supercars I was acutely aware of how much I had to learn and how lucky I was to have so many experts around me who were more than happy to help me and share their expertise with me. So I think, you know, whenever you go into a new situation and people can see that you're thirsty to learn and that you don't pretend to know it all and that you can ask what probably feels like really silly or dumb questions and people see you've got the courage to do that because you genuinely want to learn and understand, makes all the difference. And, you know, I'm so lucky to be part of the Supercars family because they've been nothing but accommodating and supportive and encouraging and welcoming to me they could see you know how genuinely much I loved it and wanted to know more and how hard I was working you know putting in all the extra hours and time and you know those relationships are the foundation of our broadcast and without them you know you don't get the access but you also don't get the storytelling opportunity either as you know you've got to have 
you know, that personability with people, is that even a word? Um, is now, is now. <laughs> you, you've got to be able to, they can see that, that you genuinely care and want to know and, um, and I think, you know, that's who I am as a person regardless of, you know, where I came from or, you know, what my last name was or anything in any of the disciplines I've worked in, in the media or anything else I've done, I think when you can go into something thirsty to learn and open to being wrong and making mistakes and um, always continuing to try your best, I think that makes all the difference. And I'd like to think that that's been the difference for me in cementing myself in my role and, and being part of the wider supercars family and community. Nice. And you've got to steer the ship because when you've got all those blokes who are the world's worst dad joke tellers and <laughs> race drivers that I was great back in my day, chat, oh, boy, I don't know how you put up with all that. I would have thought that having that round off, you wouldn't have wanted to go back to that. But clearly when you let those blokes run the train set, it's a good idea to get back and, and control it to make sure it doesn't go uh, off the tracks. Tim Blunden, his questions relating to some of these very people we speak of. Who is the more intense, Neil Crompton or Mark Scaife? Oh, it was like a dead heat. <laughs> they're intense in different ways. So, but it's their intensity that makes them so brilliant at what they do. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm so lucky. Neil Crompton is a world-class broadcaster and it's so intuitive for him. He can just do it. He just feels it. He just knows, you know, the right word to hit, the right tone to have, the best way to approach something even when it's tricky. Um, and I've had a front row seat to watching him do that. And that's, you know, I'm so grateful for that because it's not every day that you are exposed to the best in the world. And for Mark too, I mean, the way that he can read racing that he just knows and can anticipate, you know, what's going to happen next or, you know, what you should or could do in a certain situation. Um, he's such a champion. And to be able to articulate that, you know, I think that's the one thing I've learned with all the sports stars I've worked with across whatever sport. Some of them are so intuitive that they can do it, but they don't know why or they don't know how to articulate why. And Mark can, and that's such a gift, really. Like we're so lucky to have somebody who can take us into the inner sanctum and so articulately express the how and why so that you feel like you are there too and that you know everything you need to know in that moment. Um, so they're both intense, and I, I'd like to think that I can temper that intensity a little bit <laughs> by calling them out sometimes and having a joke and lightening the mood and um, and having a bit of fun with it because I think if you left them to their own devices <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> it'd be way too intense. But um, we laugh so much and we have fun, and I think that's why people enjoy what we do because they can come along for the ride too and have fun and enjoy it because it's sport, you know, it's a joyful thing. So, um, yeah, I, I consider both of them my very dear friends whom I'm incredibly grateful and fortunate to work along with. And they've taught me so much about not just car racing and broadcasting but about life and, you know, we can talk about anything. We can have pretty um, hot debate over a glass of wine and dinner. And I'm looking forward to that because we actually haven't been able to do that for quite a while. So 
it'll be nice when we can get the gang back together and, and get on with it. Yeah, sport is the greatest form of reality TV. I think you could <laughs> probably find anywhere around. Uh, one last question before we wrap it up. Uh, Michael Risley, in fact, he's not the only person who asked this. There was about five people who asked this. Who does your hair? Everyone <laughs> wants to know. Do you DIY? Do you have help? Is a bit of a combo. People want to know the secrets of Jesse yeah. Yates' hair. Burning issues on the V8 Sleuth podcast, Powered by Repco. Who knew my hair would be a thing? It's a big wow. thing. Well, credit goes to a couple of people because I certainly, it's got nothing to do with me. I literally put my ass in the chair and that's it. So I'm very, very lucky to have my beautiful friend, Mariana Grillo, who travels with me everywhere. She's also, poor thing, on the circuit. I drag around to all sorts of places. Um, But she, so she looks after my hair and makeup on TV, but she's so much more than just that. She's one of my best friends and she looks after me, makes sure that I eat and drink enough water and because, um, you know, it's we're busy, we're super busy and there's a thousand things going on and she's um, my rock and she just makes sure that I'm okay. Um, she does the driving sometimes if, you know, we need to do that or whatever, she's always there for me. So she is the master behind the amazing hair on TV. But I'm really lucky I've got this great hairdresser in Sydney who is like, I call him the hair surgeon. <laughs> having a haircut with Dario is like going in for surgery. He is so precise and dedicated and I just he's so fabulous and creative and love him. So yeah, that's the secret behind my hair. I, I you've surprised me, Noons. Of all the questions I thought you'd throw at me, I was that was not one of them. And I didn't think Dario Franchitti was doing your hair either. So um, I think we're even in that regard. I think we've done a hundred and something or rather episodes of this podcast. It's the first hair question we've ever asked. So again, trailblazing, breaking new ground, breaking down the barriers. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe feedback to them. They will be absolutely chuffed. People are noticing. There are so many hair fans out there. People are noticing. I think we could only compete if Rick Kelly or Fabian Coulthard come on the pod at some point down the track because they probably do have the best hair of any supercar driver Can I've I ever put seen. my question in ahead of that? Because I would love sure. to know how they get so much volume, especially when they've got the helmet on. Like Fabian pulls his helmet off and it hasn't moved an inch. It's never this flat. Is, it's always got so much air in it. This is one of life's amazing mysteries. Unsolved Mysteries, I think, was the TV show. Fabian's hair yeah, will be a new episode somewhere. Because I'm sure there's a lot of product in there. I reckon there's probably a couple of packets a day in there. Looks to, like he gets his head into the bucket of whatever because <laughs> it's amazing. Like it's just, it's always beautiful. Oh, really, a commitment. I remember a time when this was a motor racing podcast. We're <laughs> taking it all over the place on this See, episode. We can always lighten the mood and have a bit of fun. Exactly, exactly. We we hope Jess that uh, we get some race cars back on a racetrack soon, and you're sitting on the desk. Um, umpiring the ongoing battle between M. Scaife and N. Crompton and everybody else throwing their 20 cents in. Thanks for taking some time. I'm sorry we couldn't do it in person. We look forward to hopefully um, doing it down the track again. I'm sure there's plenty of stories that we didn't get to today, but we can do it with real microphones and in a real room and, um, you know, it's like going back to the future doing stuff like that in person. So love to do it. Look forward to seeing you back on the box on Fox. Thanks again for, for taking some time and sitting down with us today. Thanks, Noon. Stay safe, stay well. I'm thinking of everybody out there and cannot wait to get back to a racetrack and bring you all the action. Much love. 
Oh, great chat there. I thoroughly enjoyed the sit-down catch-up with Jess Yates. It seems to be that we're at racetracks over the years and doing TV things. You never get time to stop and chat for that length of time. So it was really great to get an insight into her pathway to where she is now and how she got there over the journey with a few funny stories along the way. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed having the chat with Jess. Don't forget our online website, bookshop.vhsleuth.com.au. It's the place to get in early, get some Christmas presents sorted. There's some great books coming out soon. The new Perkins Engineering Car History Book, limited edition, is out early October. Get your order in now so you don't miss out. It is a very limited run. You can join our newsletter list if you head to vhsleuth.com.au. You'll be advised of all of the, the new products that are coming out, links to our news stories on our website and so much more. Follow us on the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're active, we're there, we're contactable. Get in touch with us if you've got a suggestion for an upcoming podcast or some feedback or indeed a curly question about an old race car. We love to hear from you. It's great to have all of your support. Anyway, that's me done. I'm signing off from the V8 Sleuth Podcast powered by Repco for this week. Next week, my guest is James Moffat. Chat to you then. <laughs>